Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Yeah, can I have a number three with cheese and uh, a large coffee? Wolfen down your lunch. <laughs> Serving up today's top sports stories with Wolf and Luke. Man, does it smell good. Presented by Stadium Swim at Circa Resort and Casino, Las Vegas' ultimate sports fan destination. All right, it's Friday, and it's noon. It's time for Aaron Maloney. Aaron? So, it's All-Star Weekend in the NBA, guys. Kevin Durant and Devin Booker are among those that will take the court on Sunday for the All-Star game. Here's KD after the game on Wednesday. It's the best. It's the best. I mean, this is an incredible experience. We all thought about being All-Stars as kids, and to experience that, yeah, to be expected to be an All-Star every year, I mean, that's that's who we wanted to be as kids. So yeah, it's a moment for the basketball world to celebrate the All-Stars, but it's also a moment for each each family member, each each friend that you got coming to really uh, celebrate what you've done thus far in your career and this and thus far this season. So it's, it's always a family-type atmosphere when you go to All-Star, and that's the best part about it. Do you have a favorite event of NBA All-Star Weekend? Uh, yeah, I like the three-point shootout. I really like that one, and I yeah. really like the dunk contest. Yeah, the dunk contest. That's it, what I love. It was always the dunk contest for me growing up, and then it just kind of... The dunk contest always has the ability. Like, we could come in here on Tuesday and be like, the dunk contest was the best by yeah. far. It always has that upside, but I just feel like no matter what, the three-point contest, there's not judges... It's players that you you watch a lot, you know. So that one, that to me is is set up for success better now. You know, for me, I think it's the simplicity of the three point shot. It's like, okay, look, we all understand what the rules are, and I think it's one of the reasons why we like it. You either make the shot or you don't yeah, make the there's shot. There's no arguing. I think it's what what kind of style with the slam dunk, and we've all seen that dunk already for the most part, and everyone's just trying to upstage what the last guy did. You know, yeah. it just. It gets to a point where I think it's over the top at some point. Like Blake Griffin jumping over Ikea. Yes. There's, there's been a few. The the one a couple years ago with Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon, that was pretty good. Like, those guys were doing stuff I hadn't seen yet. Sun's owner, Matt Ishbia, was on Bigley and Murata today, and he talked that about how they're trying to win a championship every year. Well, so it's not championship or bust, but it's championship. That's what we're trying to do, right? And so if we don't win the championship, we're going to try to win championship every year. Like, we're not trying to sit here and, like, you're not going to find me. You're going to get to know me for a long time. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, in five years, we're going to plan to do this. (laughs) Like, don't get excited about my draft picks in five years. We're going to try to win this year, and then we're going to try to win next year. And I'm smart enough to know that we're not going to win every year. I think all the fans can recognize that. But I hope they know that we're going to try our best, and it's not going to sit there and that's just not how I'm built and how we're built. And so we're going to try to win a championship. It's not bust if we don't, but I promise you, there's not a guy in that locker room, there's not a person uh, on, the, on the staff, any part of the Phoenix Suns or Mercury that doesn't say, we're trying to win the championship right now and we're going to do everything we can in our power to do it. And hopefully they feel that the owner's doing that from his perspective too. He went on, he went on to say? Yeah, well, first off, you know, no no fan, and I was a fan my whole life and still am a fan. No, no fan cares about the owner's luxury tax bill. No one cares about the money I spend. They care about winning. So that's all I care about, too. And so whatever it takes to win, we say it takes what it takes here in Phoenix for the basketball teams, the Mercury and the Sun, and and uh, that's what we're going to do. It takes what it takes to, to try to win a championship. We're going to figure it out together. Matty-ish. 
<laughs> First of all, right now, it's just great how fast he talks. Isn't that right, Sean McVay? I mean, it's just so great. We exactly. We've we've hit the level with Matt Ishbia where <laughs> you don't have to say who it is. You can just play it, and we're like, oh, that's Matt Ishbia. Yeah, yep. Matt Ish right there. And, and uh, can I also say this, Paul Calvisi? Did you hear what he said? He said championship. Not championship or bust. Not every year. Not every... No, you don't have to say it. It's a state of being a champion. You hit championship. That's his expectation. That's what he wants. Championship. It's being in a state. I just can't believe he referenced draft picks. I can't... You don't have to qualify. I can't remember. <laughs> I, I can't imagine the Suns making a draft pick anytime soon. You have to remember that Pauly and Matty Ish are, you know, tight because Pauly planets, you that's, know? That's right. So may not be a good person to really fight that with. But, yes. You know. Can you yes. imagine if they really named the, the G League team the Poly Planets? Yeah. No, what's the, the leader? Phoenix Planets. Flares. Did you see Who'd that? Who'd you copy I that from? I told you that was going to be I what know, wins. But you, okay, you didn't think of it, did I didn't you? think of it. I, you did think did of it. Did you hear anybody say you, Flares before? That's what's going to win. I said Solars first and then Flares. It's good. I mean, that's what's going to win. Wow. There's no way. They're going to go with Flares? Really? Yes, because it's got the alliteration. I it has a tie to the... Is it really leading? I didn't see that. No, I, I I was told that. Oh, okay. Oh, I know. Matty Ish himself. Yeah, right. I know. <laughs> no, I have no sources. Oh, good. <laughs> well, then I question if the Flares is even leading. Our Sanderson Ford Poll question is up now at ArizonaSports.com, and it asks, where will the Suns finish in the Western Conference standings? Top four with home court for the first round? Top six avoiding the play-in? Or seven to ten in the play-in? So are you buying what you're seeing right now? 19 and 7 in the last 26 games, of yeah. course. And are the big three gelling? Were the big three gelling? I do believe that they were, and I think they're a better team with the acquisition in particular of Royce O'Neal, and I think they're only going to get better right now. There is clarity for Frank Vogel. He knows what the roster is. He knows what he has and what he doesn't have. And I think they're only going to get better. So I think they're, yeah, I think they're in the top four. Top four, huh? See, I, I want to say top four, but who's going to drop out? Because the team I would say that's most likely to drop out of Minnesota, Oklahoma City, the Clippers, and Denver would be Minnesota. But they're the number one seed right now. I think I'm actually going to say top six avoiding the play. And I think they're going to be fifth. So, 50% said top six, avoiding the play-in. <laughs> I win. 45% top four with home court for the first round. And then 5%, seven to ten in the play-in. Wow. We are one week away from the Diamondbacks' first game of spring training. So, where do the D-backs stand with their rotation? Here's Tori Lovello yesterday. It's no mystery, and I was able to share that with, with the group, um, the starters, starters group. And I still haven't got to all the starters, some of the younger starters. So, But I'll go on the record as saying, yes, um, we feel very strongly about one through four. And there's a spot open for that fifth guy. And I like that. I like that spirit of competition. I talked a little bit about it yesterday. And it's a real thing. And I don't want anybody to try and be better than they are. You can't fake it through the course of camp. You've got to be yourself. And you got to be consistent. And that's what I'm looking for. Consistency is, is the key word here. How am I repeating my delivery? How am I throwing quality strikes? How am I controlling the at-bat and controlling the zone? That's, those are the things that I'll be looking for for that fifth spot. Who would you like to see get that fifth spot? I want to tell you, we're going to talk to Tommy Henry here in about 20 minutes. Uh, he's pretty high up that list. Um, you know, Ryan Nelson would be interesting, too. 
Dre Jameson would have maybe been my answer like a year ago, but obviously we had the clip of Tory earlier saying he's probably not going to pitch this year. At least don't hold your breath on that one. Yeah. Um, Tommy Henry would be interesting, though. Yeah, I'd have to say Tommy Henry. Um, interestingly enough, we're going to be talking to Tommy Henry, are we not? And I'm not just saying that because we're talking to Tommy Henry. But um, this is a guy that I thought uh, had some moments, some good moments last year. And a guy that I know I'd love to see continue to pitch well, especially from the left-handed side. I just know that they are also excited about him internally. And then really quickly, guys, Rob Manfred says he will retire as MLB commissioner in 2029 after 14 years. Well, that's a... Is that the earliest anybody's ever announced their retirement from anything? I was just going to say, did anyone else find that odd? Honestly. Hey, hey Rob, how's By it going? By the way, I'm retiring in 2029. Yeah. Well, no, I think it went more like this. By the way, I'm retiring. Oh, wow. Okay, well, do you want like a party? Well, in five years. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that's... Man. that's does he want I like just, a five-year going away celebration? I, I, that was so weird. I, I don't know how to process that. I really don't. Five years from now. Hey, what if you get fired before that happens? You know what? What if That's you get forced out? True. Rob? I know there's a lot of baseball fans that he's not necessarily their favorite after he called the World Series trophy like a piece of aluminum foil or whatever <laughs> he said. Uh, all right, that was Wolfing Down Your Lunch. Thank you, Aaron. As always, uh, we come back. The Phoenix Suns are now just three games back of a top four spot and home court in the first round. Just how valuable could that be this season? We'll dive into it next. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Hey, it's Vince Murata. Join us Tuesday morning as we kick off Newsmakers Week, including visits with Tori Lovello and Jerry Colangelo, starting at 6 on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. All right, we're at the All-Star break in the NBA, officially. There were still some games last night, but uh, but now we are officially at the All-Star break. Wolf and the Suns sit tied for fifth with New Orleans, a game up on Dallas, a game and a half up on Sacramento. So uh, obviously nothing is really settled yet with 27 games to go. But, you know, they, um, they've, they've quietly moved within three games of a top four spot, which... Didn't really seem all that likely, I don't know, a few weeks ago. And yeah. yet now they're just three. They're four back of the Clippers for third, uh, four and a half back of Oklahoma City for second, six back of Minnesota for first. Now, the 27 games is, it, it, that's not insignificant. Was that about a third of the season? But it's not like a ton of time to make up six games on, say, Minnesota or whatever. Uh, but if they could get in the top four. Yeah. How important would that be to you? No, I think it's it's important to me. It is. It's not all important. Does that make sense? That's fair. It's important. There's no doubt about it. You, you want to have home court advantage for at least one series, of course. You'd like to have that. And at the same time, um, I think it's pretty clear based on the... The player rotations, of course, that NBA teams use and the fact that they'll give players rest, (laughs) the load management that is out there during the regular season, they're not scraping and scrapping and giving everything they have so they can actually get in the top two or three or even four for that matter. I I think the Lakers and the success the Lakers have had, uh, I think in the postseason, of course, a couple of years ago, you think of that. Uh, I think, you know, teams know, hey, listen, we're going to have to beat somebody on their floor. So what? 
go play the game. They're not terrified by that prospect. You see uh, Milwaukee last night losing to Memphis. You know, Memphis is not the same team, obviously, without John. They've had their injuries. But uh, but Milwaukee lost that game. Doc Rivers, I don't know if you heard this or not, Wolf, but he was not he was not real pleased with his team's effort after the game. We come back in this on our set. Two guys forget what we're running. Then we miss a shot, and then nobody gets back. That's how we start out the third quarter. That tells you all you need to know about where our heads were. We had some guys here, and we had some guys in Cabo. Wow. You don't want to be in Cabo when wow. you're supposed to be okay. in Memphis. Yeah, you know, um, <laughs> Doc Rivers, what, he's 4-10, I believe, correct? Uh, I think he's 4-10. and 10. Yeah, right now it's not going so well for Doc Rivers. And um, <laughs> you can hear it. He's starting to get a little um, put out. I think he's a nice way of putting it yeah. right there. At some point in time, um, he's going to explode if he hasn't already <laughs> exploded on them. Yeah, that's one of those teams that is just uh, overloaded with talent, basically. And they're still they're still thirty five and twenty one. Like they're still standings wise in a fine sure. spot in the Eastern Conference. But they didn't bring in Doc Rivers to finish fourth in the East and bow out in the first round. Obviously, I mean they switched coaches when they were. Number two in the Eastern Conference, I believe, mid-season. So you don't typically see that very often. But you know, back to the point with the uh, the Suns and, and where they are now. You have to look at it the other way too. I mean, yeah, okay, we're three games out of the number four seed. That's that is that's solid. Um, but you're also three and a half games out of the number nine seed. And so there's just there's there yes. really is no buffer zone in the Western Conference the way there is, you know, in the East. If you are Boston, Cleveland, or Milwaukee, Milwaukee, I mean, they have lost a lot lately, right? So if you're Boston or Cleveland, you know you're pretty well locked into the top two spots. You know, if you're Milwaukee, you're probably going to have home court. You know, there's, like, Atlanta's the 10 seed. They're 19 games back. In, In the Western Conference, the 10 seed is Golden State, so already you're on alert, right, because it's Golden State. And they're only 11 games back in Minnesota for first in the conference. Yeah. They had 10 teams separated by 11 games. You know, right now, I, I'm not, listen, I'm sure Frank Vogel wants to win games, okay? Hear, hear me loud on that and what I'm about to say here. But I, I'm sure he wants to win games, yet at the same time, I think the most important thing for the Phoenix Suns is they start playing and continue to play up to their capability, period. I think it's how the Suns win games and how they go about their business that I think Frank Vogel is probably more focused on because he already knows he's got all the talent in the world. He's got the talent that he needs. He needs the toughness. This is something I've been harping on for months, but I'm going to continue to do it. He knows that that toughness is going to be the key ultimately, to this team being as good as they possibly can. It's the how with him. Here's Frank Vogel uh, after Wednesday's game. You know, I mean, I think we're, we're finding a, a good rhythm. We're catching a good rhythm, but we know how good the West is. I mean, we, we really have to uh, push the envelope to uh, excel in all areas that we can and really focus on the details and the work post-break. So, um, you know, we're excited to, uh, you know, to take a little breather here. And, uh, you know, watch our two guys in that game on Sunday. And um, we'll get out of the break. Hopefully we can, uh, we can start with uh, a few W's. we got three and four right out of the gates, you know, with the Thursday, Friday, Sunday uh, schedule they gave us. 
you hear him right there? Focus mm-hmm. on the process, the details, right? I mean, these are the things that we've got to do right now. That's what he's worried about, focusing on the process. And you know what? Honestly, it's the right approach, Basinonians. It is. It's the right thing to do. You have to focus on the process, not only as a head coach, but also as a player. And if you, if you get myopic about that, if you focus on the process, everything else will take care of itself. Frank Vogel, too. I mean, when this all started a month and a half, two months ago, when they started winning games, I mean, there was a lot of heat on Frank Vogel, not from the organization. They didn't bring in Frank Vogel to pull the plug on him yeah. a month and a half into the season with a bunch of new players. But there were a lot of fans that were like, dude, why Why is this guy here? Like, he's, what are we doing? Uh they don't hear that as much now because of the fact that they're improving. It's it's not the record. Nobody nobody looks at the record and they're like, well, oh, 33 and 22. Every team that's 11 games above 500 wins the title, right? They're guaranteed. But now it's I think we've we've gotten to a point Wolf where if you told me they were playing any team, I'm just kind of looking up and down the standings in the Western Conference. There's not any team you could throw at me and say, "Hey, the Suns are going to play this team in a best of seven series." Where I'd be like, "Well, they're in trouble." Yeah, Denver is the one. Obviously, Denver is the one team where it's like, "Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give it to Denver until I see otherwise." Denver just won the title, and they have they have Jokic. <laughs> but anybody else, it's like, "Hey, the Suns are playing Minnesota in the first round." I, I would, I'm going to lean Suns. You tell me it's Suns Pelicans. That's going to be a nasty series. Yeah, but I I, I feel pretty. Confident the Suns at least have a chance against all these teams, and I'd probably pick them in most series. Maybe the Clippers won. It just comes yeah. down to the Clippers' health and the yeah. Suns' health, for that matter. You know, once again, um, I would disagree with you, and it's okay because um, anybody who feels like you do uh, is not wrong by any stretch of the imagination. But for me right now, I, I think the, the team needs to continue to evolve and develop, especially on the defensive end of the floor. I'm just going to constantly say that. It's what I believe. I, I think they need to get more physical, and they are. They're in the process of doing that. The defensive end of the floor, more physical. Their, their consistency and intensity has got to get better. And I think it will. This is um, Amari Stoudemire. When we had him on a couple weeks ago, we asked him about you know this year's Suns team and if they're on their way, and you know how realistic it is that they might be able to to actually pull this off. He talked about the uh, the the fine line they're walking while they build chemistry, but also you know you don't you don't have three years to make this work. Yeah, I think there, I think there's a um, I mean there's, there's a thin line to skate on, right? Because you have to want to you know, be great right away. You want to win right away. And so you don't want to wait too long. And being patient is something that's obviously a, a, a term that's been thrown around a lot, but there is a sense of patience, but then there's also a sense of urgency. So within that strategy, you have to find a way to eliminate the eliminate the, the, the space in between by practicing hard, by, by studying film together, by working, you know, with – other players and build chemistry. I must ask that question because you remember every time you asked the question, yes. he was making lunch. <laughs> but when I asked the question, he's like, "Oh yeah, okay." And then you would ask a question, he'd be like, "Here's some rice and some chicken." You're so right. He was. What was he doing? He was doing something. He told us so loud. He told us he was. He had just worked out. And he okay, was making yes, lunch. he was making lunch right yeah. there. But yeah, he only did it when, when you I asked, asked him a question, question. <laughs> which I approve of. Did quite you notice a bit. the patience versus urgency? Yeah, right there. See, yeah, see. 
Stat knows exactly what he's talking about. Uh, have you subscribed to the Wolf and Luke Show podcast? Subscribe right now on your iPhone or Android. You will never miss any of the show. It's the Wolf and Luke Show podcast brought to you this week by your Valley Chevy dealers. When we come back, spring training is here. So who is going to be the Diamondbacks' fifth starter? We're going to talk to D-backs pitcher Tommy Henry next. I don't know that we can ask him who's going to be the fifth starter because I don't think it's been determined yet. But he's one of the candidates. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. D-backs getting started up here a week from today. Wolf's the first spring training game and played the cut from Tori Lovello earlier talking about some of the uh, the position battles to keep an eye on. And one of them is certainly number five starter in this now very competitive rotation. Along those lines, we are pleased to be joined on the Arizona Sports Line right now by D-backs pitcher Tommy Henry. Tommy, thank you for the time, man. How's it going? I'm great. How are you guys doing? Doing good, Tommy. Doing good. We, um... We're ready for some baseball, as I'm, as I'm sure you are uh, as well. You're still, you know, very early in your major league career, but now that you've been to a, a few spring trainings, is there kind of more of a comfort level now that you know what to expect? Yeah, there definitely is. Um, you know, I think that comes with experience, and I also think that comes with, you know, having good veterans to lean on in the locker room. Um, you know, this year and in years past, I feel like, you know, when you have guys that have been there and show you the ropes. Uh, it makes you feel like you have the experience before you actually go through it. Um, so that's been huge for me. I'm thankful for the guys that have kind of paved the way and, you know, allow us to pick their brains. Um, and, yeah, I feel I feel comfortable and ready to go. You know, Tommy, so much of the time when you're young and you're competing and you're, you're doing it at the level you are where it's the best our species can possibly generate – you know, um, sometimes you learn things over the course of a season. What did you learn about yourself last season? Um, I learned that, um, you know, you, you got to turn over every stone when it comes to uh, preparation. And, you know, that, that comes with like a game planning, um, you know, scouting perspective, but also like the, the physical preparation. Um, 162 games is a long time. Um, and obviously, I, you know, I dealt with some, some injury stuff at the end of last year, which is really unfortunate. And, um, you know, doing everything you can now in, in February, but also, you know, in December and in November, um, in order to prepare yourself for, for the long haul and to be, you know, better at the end of it. Um, and so, you know, I've seen, I've seen the routines that, that guys do, you know, like Zach and Merrill to be at their best, um, for, for the length of the season and into the postseason, um, and how consistent they are with that. And, you know, those are, those are the kind of leaders I've leaned on. And, you know, those are the big lessons I took away from last year. Talking to Tommy Henry, you know, Tommy, you mentioned the injury, and unfortunately that, that made it so you didn't get to really pitch during the actual playoffs or, you know, even, you know, uh, August or September to get in there. But you did get to pitch in some big games last season for a team that was really doing well right out of the gate and, and pretty much the entire season. Just in terms of that sort of experience, how much do you think that helps you now going forward? Uh, a lot. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean on those um, those experiences, you know, pitching a lot of, you know, coming up through the minor leagues, I feel like it's easy to kind of get lost in, you know, pursuing your own career. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't 
you know, winning isn't the, the most important thing. You know, obviously you want to, but you lose track of that. And so playing in meaningful, meaningful games and, you know, pitching in pressure situations and hostile environments, um, I think, you know, w- was was very huge for me last year and allowed me to, um, you know, put a, hopefully put another notch in my belt. And, you know, the next time I'm in those situations, I've, I've been there before and I, I feel more comfortable and I'm ready to go and continue to have success in those situations. And Tommy, what are you focusing on? What are you working on this spring? Uh, I've really, you know, the big emphasis for me this off season and coming into this spring, um, and this is a huge help from the pitching staff here, uh, was kind of cleaning up some lower half mechanics. Um, you know, I'm really trying to, to use my hips and, and more specifically my front leg um, to allow me to, to throw with more ease and less stress on my arm um, while also being, you know, more consistent. Get my hand into uh, the same position more consistently. So that allows me to, you know, repeat things more often, whether that be from pitch to pitch, inning to inning, or week to week. Um, and so I've been putting an emphasis on, you know, the lower half stuff, and that's, that's been translating up the chain into my arms um, and so I feel like, you know, I've been using my arm less than I ever have in my life. And I'm just kind of throwing a baseball with my hips, which feels really good, very refreshing. Um, and that's a huge, you know, testament to the ideas and the minds of, of the pitching staff here because they've been helping me a lot with that. So apparently, Tommy, hips don't lie. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll find out. I hope they don't lie. <laughs> All right. Now that Wolf's had his moment, now we're talking to Tommy Henry. Tommy, um, what is Brent Strom like to work with? Because he just, I mean, the guy, like, it feels like everybody he works with, he turns them into a the best version of themselves. Yeah, I think uh, the biggest thing, you know, that I notice and that I'm thankful for is his energy. Um, he comes to the park, you know, and it feels like he had uh, game planned and reviewed and and thought about how he can help you get better each day. And so he comes with a fresh idea um, and, and is willing to, you know, drop that on you whenever he sees fit. Um, and, and he's comfortable letting you ride, but he's also going to, you know, he's never afraid of, of growth and taking an opportunity to, to try something and, and help that, you know, um, give you an opportunity to grow. Um, and so it's a relentless effort daily from him. Um and I think that, you know, when you stack good days together, you know, that's when you see the most growth over the long term. And, you know, that's a that's a testament to him and the effort that he puts in at the park and when he's away from the park. So, Tommy, would you say that you do better? You think you do better and get better when you relax and go about your business or when you're more intense? What, what do you think? What, where would you fall in that category? Yeah, um, that's kind of interesting because, you know, I used to think in college I would really try and amp myself up for games um, because, you know, I feel like I, I picture like Ray Lewis, you know, do, coming out of the tunnel and like, <laughs> right. you know, that's what you had to be, the gladiator style, um, and that's what you had to be in order to be locked in and performing well. Um, and, you know, as I've played this game longer, I've just realized that's not, you know, that's not my DNA. Um, I actually try and be you know, almost as far to the other end of the spectrum as I possibly can be. Um, I, I try and feel, you know, low heart rate, calm, clear-headed. Um, and to me, that allows me to just stay more present when I'm out there on the mound. Um, and, you know, like, I feel like it gives me a better chance at 
stopping momentum um, or, you know, not allowing things to snowball. If I'm amped up, I've noticed that, you know, I'm, I'm more emotional, I'm more reactive, and then, you know, things are more likely to snowball. So when I'm, when I'm chill and my goal is to be chill out there is, you know, I, f- I feel like I think more logically. Um, I remove the emotion of, of it, and, you know, it gives me a better chance at putting up more zeros. So tell me, have you played any other sports when you were in high school? Did you play any other sports? Uh, I played basketball, too. Okay, so you know what it's like to be amped up right there, right? I think that's what makes baseball so different, right? Totally. Um, And, yeah, to be honest, I probably, yeah, maybe I would have gotten more minutes if I played basketball a little bit more calm. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, but I uh, think that's the difference in it, Tommy. You know, I mean, I think baseball is more, hey, you've got to, you got to chill. It's more of a mental game than it is a physical. Yeah, without a doubt. There's a lot of downtime um, in between the action. Um, and so, you know, if you're able to remain calm and make decisions uh, that aren't emotional in, in those times and, and, and handle the pressure or, you know, however the situations come at you, um, I think that gives you, people generally, but more specifically me, a better chance at success. And I also think, you know, looking at it over the course of 162 games, you know, it's a little bit easier in a football season. Plus, you know, it's a completely different, you know, type of sport, you know, yeah. contact gladiator type sport. But, like, it's it would be really hard to do that um, 162 times, you know, <laughs> right. a lot of times consecutively, yeah. days after days after days. So... Um, yeah, I think that's kind of an adaptation of a few different types of, you know, the way that baseball's played. Well, Tommy, we really appreciate the time, man. Good Tommy, luck this, thank uh, you. this spring and this season, all right? Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. That's uh, Tommy Henry joining us right there on the Arizona Sports Line. And yeah, absolutely in the mix. There's going to be some competition this uh, this spring, really all season long for for uh, for that number five starter spot on this team. We come back over to football. What does NFL draft history tell us about taking a wide receiver early in the draft? We'll get into it next. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Hey everybody, it's Burnsy. The Arizona Cardinals have a lot of positions they need to address this offseason. Which ones should they address in free agency as opposed to the draft? The Burns and Gambo Show. Hear us from 2 to 6 on Arizona Sports. Alright, welcome back to the show to all the listeners and Aaron and myself. And um, Oh, and Wolf's back now too. Look at this. Uh, so, remember to worry. <laughs> mentioned this earlier in the show. Aaron put together a list of the top receiver taken in every draft since 2003. Yeah, right over there? Pretty incredible. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, you look very, like, focused. And oh, it's a, yeah. It's no, Friday you before three no, I was weekend. walking around out there because I was stiff as a board. This is what happens when you get 61 and savage. Um, so we're going to focus on some of these guys that were taken especially early, like Look, no offense to Donnie Avery in 2008, but yeah. if you were taken 33rd overall, you probably weren't considered a generational talent going into the draft, and that's where we're going to kind of shift the focus here is what were these guys, how hyped up were they going into the draft, let's say in comparison to a Marvin Harrison Jr., like he is this year. He's yeah. being talked about as a generational talent. Earlier we talked about like how many of these guys kind of turned into generational talents when they got to the NFL, but as far as what they were going in, uh, Aaron just pulled out all the ones that were top 10 picks, okay? That's kind of more fair. Yeah. 
Um, so I'm going to run through some of these names, Wolf. And you, if you feel like, yeah, that guy was definitely, he was being talked about, like, you you got to get this guy. Maybe you trade up, you got to take him early. Then, uh, then let me know. And I'll work backwards from 2022 was Drake London. He yes. was eighth overall. Yeah, you know, I don't think he was a generational talent. I don't think just me. Okay. (laughs) Very talented, no doubt about it, and productive, I would say, but not a generational guy, in my opinion. That was the year, too, where there was like six, and it might have ultimately even been eight receivers taken in the first round. And Drake London, I would say, was probably the consensus to be the first one off the board, but it wasn't unanimous. Yeah. There was a lot of other receivers in that draft. 2021 is an interesting one. Uh, Number five overall was Jamar Chase. And he seems like he's on his way to having a generational career. When he got drafted, there was a lot of hype around him because of yeah, there the was. connection with Joe Burrow. Yeah, there there definitely was that and the fact he ran a four three eight. That helps. At the combine as well. And Jamar Chase is a bigger, I don't want to say a big, he's certainly not Marvin Harrison Jr., but a bigger wide receiver. And running at 4-3-8 was an excellent time for him right there. And that's why the comparison to Anquan Bolden was a little off right there. Quan was more of, I'm going to run you over, I'm going to truck you than run around you guy for the most part. But yeah, Jamar Chase, I, I would say he was a guy that you would look at and say, there's a generational guy. Okay. Right? So would you say... Would you say that? Yeah. Yeah. It, I'm a little clouded with him because I've seen what he can do in the NFL. You know what I mean? It's been so good. I'm just trying to to remember if when he got drafted, the hype was as high for him as it is for Marvin Harrison Jr. <sighs> That's a great question. And I, I honestly feel like it's higher for Marvin Harrison I, I Jr. I agree with that. Not yeah. by a lot, but, you know, by a little bit. Uh, some of the other ones that went in the top 10, about 2017, Corey Davis was the fifth wow. overall pick. Wow. I don't remember there being a lot of Corey yeah. Davis hype. No, I don't. Once again, and there hasn't been since. Man, no, that's true. That isn't, I, I'm going to, I'm looking that up during the break because I just have to know now who else was uh, was drafted in 2017 as far as receivers. Uh, 2015, Amari Cooper went number four overall, which, I mean, we're figuring Marvin Harrison Jr. goes fourth at the lowest, right? Yes. And he may, hopefully not, but he might even go third or second. Yet I expect Marvin Harrison Jr. to be even more productive than Amari Cooper. And, and Amari Cooper's been pretty productive, but I don't think there was the the generational tag that was put on Amari Cooper when he was taken number four overall. No, I'm with you. In fact, here's the, here's the draft capsule for Amari Cooper at the time. Amari Cooper, wide receiver, Alabama. Cooper displayed 4-4 speed at the NFL Combine to solidify his position as ESPN's number one ranked wide receiver in the 2015 draft. ESPN scouts describe him as a cross between Roddy White and Jordy Nelson. Last year, Cooper exploded in Lane Kiffin's Alabama offense, amassing 124 catches for over 1,700 yards and 16 touchdowns. More impressively, he had a huge game against Florida corner Vernon Hargreaves, who many consider to be the best corner in college football. The strengths of his game are considered to be great route running and quickness. At six foot, 211 pounds, Cooper has an average height-weight combination for a wide receiver prospect. Now, we 
wake you up and probably play for another 48 seconds or I can pop this down. If you well, want. first of all, can I just say I'd love to see Polly dance to this. Would you? Okay, that's number one. Here, here's some yeah. more music for you. Polly doing a little salsa, <laughs> a little cha-cha. I don't know why Polly um, did a 40-second you know, draft <laughs> capsule and then left another minute of music. Here, there's still more going on. <laughs> no, it goes for like an hour and a half. That's because Polly's out there as the folding chair doing the salsa. Hey, we know what Wolf did not to sidetrack you, but three day weekend. <laughs> Party! You gotta fight uh, for your right. You okay, fight! that's right. Don't get me all jacked up right now. Hey! Okay, um, yeah, I, I'm going to say right now, that was great, Amari <laughs> Cooper, and I'm so glad Paul didn't say he was a generational talent. That would have been funny. Because I didn't did. think he was a generational talent, okay? Pa- Paulie was probably like, you should trade down and collect more players instead of taking this generational talent. Yes, I didn't think he was that coming out of college, of course. Um, the year before, another top five pick. In fact, number four for a receiver, the first receiver off the board was Sammy Watkins. Yeah. I don't know where the audio went on that, but uh, but Sammy Watkins, I remember being. It was. I feel like that was sort of similar to Sammy Watkins, wide receiver, Clemson. Here are three things you need to know about Sammy Watkins. Well, at just 20 years of age, he has a couple of things that all NFL teams are desperately searching for: youth and speed. Watkins can take the top off any defense, and his ability to catch the football with his hands. Well, Watkins makes the difficult catches look easy. However, his route running skills do need to improve. Watkins was arrested. In charge in 2012 with possession of a controlled substance and a simple charge of marijuana possession. But he has since stayed out of trouble thanks to his strong family support system. Yeah, I, I think I remember that correctly where he was not a generational talent called it's a generational talent. Just the first. Re- in fact, I uh, think I think him going fourth overall at the time was kind of like, oh, wow, okay, they they must have really wanted this guy. Not that he was, he's probably going to be like a top 10 pick, yeah. but I think, again, you go top five, especially as a receiver, expectations are pretty high. So in that draft that Sammy Watkins went fourth, Mike Evans went seventh. Oops. Odell Beckham Jr. went 12th. Wow. Brandon Cooks went 20th. Okay. Wow, they some good. Calvin Benjamin. 28th. Okay. I remember Calvin Benjamin. Calvin Benjamin was, yeah, but you know, the first, be good. the first few names you actually said right there, very productive. Matt. Devontae Adams went 53rd. Oh, there you go. How very about, productive. How about this? Um, going back to that Corey Davis pick at yeah. number five overall, because I was like, I feel like there were other guys. Well, let's see. Um, eighth was Christian McCaffrey. Tenth was Patrick Mahomes. I mean, how how far do I want to go with this? Like yeah. there was that was maybe Tennessee reaching on a receiver right. at that point. And you know, can I honestly say this right now, based on earnings? There's been many, many receivers that have had awesome NFL careers that were not taken in the first round. I mean, Puka Nakua. That's all you needed. I say I picked him because I wanted to say it. Puka Nakua. You did. It just saw. It just what a great name. You haven't got this. It's one yeah, of the best names ever. A Eugenio Suarez yet oh, today. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm getting ready for that. Uh, we're not over yet. We got another hour here. At some point in time, I'm going to break it out. A uh, Eugenio. TJ Watt also in the first round of that draft. It was a pretty good draft that in 2017. Was pretty good draft indeed, yes. Uh, 2013 had another one. Tavon Austin went eighth overall. Um, Tavon Austin was a dangerous player. But not somebody that had that's, a hard time staying healthy for the most part. Yeah. But it's West Virginia. 
West Virginia, the pride of every mountaineer. Um, who else went in 2013, Aaron? Um, DeAndre Hopkins went 27th. That's decent. Decent player right there. He was the second wide receiver off the board. Okay, the second wide receiver. Isn't that weird? Yeah. How many how many wide receivers do you think are going to be drafted in this draft in the first round? Because I thinking about offensive line, man. I think offensive line is going to be the most drafted position in the first round. I like big Well, no, it's not because I like it. It's because the league likes it. There's a lot of talent that is out there, and I think a lot of people, once again, are coming to the realization that it's still on the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball when you talk about the blood sport. I was I was trying to look while you were talking to see a lot of times like FanDuel or somebody will have over under three and a half wide receivers taken in the first round. They yes. don't have that stuff up yet, but I, I bet that's the number they put out, three and a half, because you figure neighbors, Odunze. See, I, I would say I'd take the over on that. I one. would too. Yeah, so maybe they'll, maybe they'll do four and a half. There's, I, I think, six or seven receivers could be taken in the first oh, round. Really? Yeah. Even this year. Okay. Well, then, yeah, maybe that over-under will be a little bit higher. Uh, all right. Thanks uh, to Aaron for putting that all together, too, because that does kind of, like, give you some context as far as, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. is not the only receiver in draft history yes. that people have been talking up. All right. We come back. The Diamondbacks' bullpen was maybe their biggest strength by the time the playoffs wrapped up last year. Is it going to be that way again this year? We're going to talk to one of the guys who was in instrumental in that. Uh, Ryan Thompson will join us next. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.